Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he's out. He's out. He's out. Yes, sir. He is out. Look, look at this. Randy is out. And uh, Dean is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business. Ever put out in hundred years at the present time. Sell the team. Oh yeah, welcome aboard. John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, the just a couple days away as we get ready for talk some baseball here on a Saturday morning from opening day. Uh, obviously a couple games played in Australia with the Los Angeles Dodgers beating the Arizona Diamondbacks as we kick the 2014 season off. Uh, we got, obviously got the Sunday night game and of course opening day from Monday to Tuesday as all 30 MLB teams get this season started. Uh, a, a winter that in my opinion did not go by very slow. I thought it went by pretty quick this year. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago we were finishing the 2013 season. The Boston Red Sox and the run that they had kind of coming out from the disgruntled franchise under Bobby Valentine the year before with the players revolting and the offseason that a lot of people questioned the moves that were made and they turned that into a World Series championship as they beat the St. Louis Cardinals and Carlos Beltran and all the excitement of the 2013 season to me doesn't seem like it was that long ago and maybe that's just uh, I don't know I can't really explain how that happened. Usually I, I dread the winter, the winters getting cold, the bad weather, and how I just can't wait to get into baseball season. But, you know, a couple days and we're going to be playing 162 games. And the longest season in all of professional sports is right about to kick off. And it already has, like I said, with the Dodgers beating the Arizona Diamondbacks. Great show planned for today. I'm going to continue with a 30-1 to MLB countdown as we get all our team previews in before opening day. Um, they're going to be done. They are done. They're going to be finished. We're going to get as, as many previews done as we can today. And then the show next week, which will air next Saturday, uh, we'll finish up the previews, the top 10 teams. If those of you have followed the countdown as done over the last three years, uh, I basically preview every team from the worst team that I predict to the best team. So we're going to get kind of the mid-road teams as we get in from pretty much from 20 down to about 11. And we're going to talk about the teams that are going to be, in my opinion, good, competitive, certainly in the race for the most part. But teams, in my opinion, I don't think have enough to get into postseason baseball. 
football for the next, to 2014 season. And listen, if, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's just what I'm feeling. Uh, of course, feel free to tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. Uh, keep the discussion interactive. You know, you tell me what you think. You, uh, is there a sleeper team in your mind? Because I'm going to touch on one of them today. A team that I don't think is a playoff team, but a team I don't think is anywhere near as bad as people are making it out to be. A team that has struggled over the last several seasons that I think are going to make a nice jump and a nice movement up through the ladder of the chain of the best to worst Major League Baseball teams. And, you know, you see a lot of teams that are in that category of uh, maybe they'll just be bad again or maybe they'll start taking the steps. Remember the Pittsburgh Pirates last year? Remember the year before where the Oakland Athletics and the Baltimore Orioles kind of made their move? Uh, You had the Cleveland Indians winning 90-plus games last year. I, I thought they would be good, but a lot of people didn't think they would be as good as they were. Where do they stand this year? Uh, a ton of stuff to get into, and I'm going to start previewing the teams throughout the better part of this hour. But later on, I do want to get through some interviews that I recorded this past week. Uh, I was in Pirates Camp over in Bradenton. Uh, great to get a chance to interact with a lot of players there. The second hour, you're going to hear interviews I recorded with All Star Closer Jason Grilly. And Jason Grilly has a book coming out. It's called just my game and it's basically uh, the the guy's uh, trials and tribulations he's gone through he had major a major knee operation that almost ended his playing career and uh, a lot of people forget about Jason Grilly, the fact that he pitched in the 2006 World Series for the Detroit Tigers when the St. Louis Cardinals beat him. But obviously it went downhill pretty quick for him with that knee injury and nearly ending his career. And he came back, he resurrected himself with the Pirates and uh, was an all-star last season. He has himself a nice contract for this year, will be a free agent. And if he pitches well this year, will probably get himself paid pretty well. And his book, Just My Game, is just about to be released. You got to check it out. Uh, Uh, The story of him kind of lingering in the minor leagues and pitching well and not getting enough uh, recognition and nobody's really noticing him. And the Pirates finally giving him a chance and the rest has been history. Uh, Also get a chance to speak with Pittsburgh Pirates broadcaster Kent Tocolvi. And Kent, of course, pitched in over a thousand games, was a predominant reliever over the 70s and 80s with the Pirates and the Phillies. And, you know, a guy that really had a very good career. You get to talk about that in a little bit. This hour, we're going to be joined by a couple pitchers uh, one of them is going to be in the uh, bullpen for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that's Vin Mazzaro, the right-hand pitcher, who pitched in the Kansas City Royals and Oakland Athletics organization, and it had a very good season for the Pirates last year. Another guy by the name of uh, Ken Kasparik, who is a right-hand pitcher, was likely to start the season in AAA, um, likely to make his Major League debut at some point this season. Uh, a little bit back and forth with those guys from Bradenton down in Florida, where I was this past week. Also had a chance to spend a little time over by Mets camp and I had a chance to speak with a couple players there. And this is where I'm going to start the program off. Uh, We'll transition into some team previews before we get to our first break. And then I'll talk a little bit with Vin Mazzaro and Ken Kasparik before the end of the first hour of the Passball Show right here on MTR Radio. Of course, check out my website, www.johnpiele.com. All my interviews I've recorded are up there. You got all the show archives and Bases Empty blog, which, of course, we'll touch on throughout the duration of this program as well. The New York Mets, one thing I want to get upon to kind of put the 
bed or put to rest the whole talk about the shortstop position. And it's something that I've touched on on a number of occasions on this show. And if you follow really any New York radio or TV, uh, there's been discussion about what the Mets should do at their shortstop position. You know about this offseason coming in, the way it was set up. You know the Mets were going to be targeting a guy like Jahani Peralta or Stephen Drew. And as we get just a couple days away from the opening of the season at City Field where the Mets play the Washington Nationals on Monday, the Mets have not made a significant upgrade at the shortstop position. And it's something that I think we all have to understand is probably going to be the way it is, at least to start the season. Ruben Tejada is going to be the shortstop. Uh, I know you know a lot of people aren't that excited about him. Obviously, I'm not necessarily the biggest Ruben Tejada proponent, but I've come to grips with the fact that he's probably going to be the shortstop opening day. Uh, it was pretty much cemented when the Mets decided to send Wilmer Flores back down to AAA to allow him to play shortstop a little more. A little on the Flores situation, let's be honest. This is a guy who you could pencil in in a lineup. You figure he's really going to hit a little bit. I think he has 20 home run power at the major league level. I don't think you can take that away from him, but let's be honest. The Mets had no intention of making Wilmer Flores a shortstop. Once Sandy Alderson got here, and it wasn't necessarily Sandy Alderson's decision, Terry Collins actually might have had as much to say about it as anybody because he was the Mets field coordinator in 2010 before taking over as manager in 2011, and a decision was made, and this was made long before Sandy Alderson and Terry Collins got here, that Wilmer Flores was a guy that was going to grow out of his body. He was not necessarily going to be a major league shortstop, and the Mets needed to make a change to him, maybe move him to third base or second base, and make a decision over what kind of position Wilmer Flores was going to play as a potential major leaguer, and they made that decision pretty early. Wilmer Flores has not played a game at a professional level in a regular season at shortstop since he moved to St. Lucie in 2011. You know, the guy's 22, 23 years old. He's still very young, but he's spent the last couple seasons playing third, kind of getting used to not being a shortstop. And because of the Mets offseason, the way they did not address the need that they expected to at the shortstop position, Wilmer Flores became an option in spring training. And not a bad option. Obviously, I just told you the guy could hit. You follow the stats. You follow him this spring. I think he had a very good spring. Uh, You know the guy could hit at the major league level. But the problem was going to be the Mets who are built on pitching. We know about all the young pitching. I don't need to get into that. I don't want to overdo it and talk about all the stuff in regards to the Mets because if you're a Mets fan or even if you're a Major League Baseball fan, you know what the Mets' strengths are. The Mets' strengths are their young pitching. And what comes with young pitching that you need to make sure you have to be able to get the most out of your young starting pitching is defense and defense up the middle. Juan Lagares, who we all feel is going to be the opening day center fielder, is probably going to get a good opportunity opportunity to showcase his legs, his ability to play defense, and maybe his ability to hit. But you got to look at the other positions. Daniel Murphy at second base is a good second baseman. He's a good hitter. You know he's adequate defensively. He's certainly grown into the position. He's a guy you could trust to be a good defensive second baseman. But let's be honest, he's not going to win a gold glove anytime soon. Uh, You're not going to look at him amongst the best in all Major League Baseball when it comes to defensive second baseman. Shortstop, you know you're going to have to trust in a man that could go out there and pick it and make the day easier for the pitchers. You don't need somebody that's going to throw the ball away. You don't need somebody that's going to botch the ball. They can't turn to double play. Defense at the shortstop position is, is at a premium, particularly with the New York Mets and their young pitching. 
So we know right off the bat that Jahani Peralta was going to St. Louis. The Steven Drew thing, the saga is still going on. There's a chance and a very good chance that the Major League Baseball season is going to start and Steven Drew is not going to have himself a team. So where does that leave the Mets? You know, we talked about Wilmer Flores. The best option for Wilmer Flores is to get a little more seasoning down in AAA. Because, like I said, the Mets did not decide or we're not expecting Wilmer Flores to be playing shortstop. This is kind of a last resort type of thing. Uh, Once they were unable to work out a deal with the Seattle Mariners to get Nick Franklin or with the Arizona Diamondbacks to get Didi Gregorius and obviously Stephen Drew still out there, uh, you figured that the Mets were going to have the options that were in-house as far as being the best choices to be the shortstop for the team this season. And you're talking about a guy like Wilmer Flores who is was coming into camp expecting to be a third baseman or a second baseman or maybe a first baseman, going back to a position that he hadn't played in a couple years. And I actually don't think he looked bad. Uh, He looked like he could scoop the ball. He looks like he could play the position if at all necessary. But in the end, the Mets decide to send him down to AAA so he could play some more shortstop. I actually think that's a good decision. Other options out there. Anthony Saratelli, the seven-year minor league free agent that they brought in from the Kansas City Royals organization, is likely to make this team. He's likely to break camp. He's likely to make his major Major League debut. The problem with him, he's more of a utility player than a straight shortstop. And a guy that's going to help you at a number of positions, whether it's second base, whether it's the outfield, even a little bit of first base as well as shortstop. But he's probably not a guy you're going to go with as the everyday shortstop. So that leaves you obviously Ruben Tejada and also Omar Quintanilla. And you've seen Omar Quintanilla over the last couple seasons. He's not a bad player, but you know for a fact that this guy is not a starter at the Major League level. He, He doesn't get on base enough. He doesn't hit for enough power. Yes, he could pick the ball as good as anybody that the Mets have playing shortstop, but I don't trust him as a major league regular. So you have all these options, and it all comes down to Ruben Tejada, who once again is going to get another shot. He's going to get another chance to prove that he could play the position, that he could do that on-base percentage thing that he did a couple years ago, that he could play the defense that he showed he was very capable of doing while Jose Reyes was still here with the organization. Ruben Tejada is going to get the chance for this one reason, that he pretty Pretty much is the best option at this point. Now you're going to say, hey, you just talked about Wilmer Flores being a good hitter, and obviously you, you think he's capable of doing more than Ruben Tejada. Why not Wilmer Flores? For that same exact reason. The Mets' young pitching needs to benefit from the best defense possible, particularly up the middle. And to have Wilmer Flores, who I think can play an adequate shortstop, he's not going to play a good enough shortstop for the Mets to maximize the ability and the advantage that they have with their good young pitching. And a thing that I wanted to bring up, because I think one of the logical solutions was for the Mets to pursue a trade for a Nick Franklin from the Seattle Mariners. Nick Franklin's going to make their club. He's not a guy that they're desperately looking to get rid of, but they've announced that Brad Miller is going to be their everyday shortstop and not Nick Franklin. Nick Franklin played some second base last year, showed he can hit for a little power, and shows that he's a pretty good major league player. The Mariners put him out there to compete with Brad Miller this past offseason and spring training and decided that they're going to go with Brad Miller. Obviously, you know Nick Franklin's not going to be playing second base in Seattle. There's a guy by the name of Robinson Cano who's going to be there for the next 10 years. But Nick Franklin is a guy that the Mariners have tried to shop. One weakness that he has is he's not been proven to be the slickest guy fielding at shortstop. And this is where the Mets made this decision. They say, hey, we can go out there and trade a Rafael Montero or Corey Mazzoni or Jacob DeGrom, depending on what 
the, the level of interest is from the Seattle Mariners. Obviously, they would prefer Montero. How much of a straggler are, are they for that? I, I think it remains to be seen. But for the Mets to give up a pitcher like a Rafael Montero to get Nick Franklin, you got to ask yourself, what are you getting in return? And what the Mets will be getting in return is a guy that he could probably bat maybe 7th or 6th in a lineup. A guy that could go out there and hit maybe 15, 20 home runs, maybe 30 doubles. But how much are you going to get out of him defensively? Because, like I said, defense is a premium right now because you have the young pitching. And the Mets, I think, from what I've heard, have felt that Franklin defensively is something that may be at some point a little bit of a liability. And if that's the case, the Mets feel what they have in-house, not necessarily with Tejada, but with Wilmer Flores, a guy who is going to probably hurt you defensively. The Mets are probably better off giving Flores the chance than to trade a top arm to get a Nick Franklin, a guy who you know is probably going to be about the same, maybe a little bit better because he's got more experience. He's played shortstop a little bit more over the last couple seasons than Wilmer Flores has, but is still going to hurt you defensively. And I think the value of that remains to be seen. Um, Nick Franklin, what, what kind of major league player does he become? Does he become a shortstop for the Mariners or another team? It remains to be seen, but the decision looks like to this point it's been made that Nick Franklin is probably going to stay in Seattle unless another team makes a deal with him. He is not coming to the Mets. So Ruben Tejada getting a chance to be the opening day shortstop. Not the greatest thing. Not the greatest feeling that I have going through my mind. I would have loved to see Peralta. I would have loved to see Stephen Drew. I would love to even see the Mets take a chance on a Franklin or even a D.D. Gregorius from the Arizona Diamondbacks, but it's all not going to happen. Number 11 is going to be playing shortstop for the Mets this season. He's going to be batting eighth. He's going to be hidden in the lineup. The only thing that I am asking for Ruben Tejada, because I've accepted the fact that he's going to be the starting shortstop for the New York Mets, is please pick the ball at shortstop. You have tremendous ability as a defensive player. It's been shown. We've seen it over the last three years. Even last year when things weren't going right at the beginning of the season, you know the guy has it in him to be able to play a good defense at shortstop. We're not talking about Ray Ordonez here. We're not talking about Jose Reyes even defensively, but we're talking about a guy that could pick it at the shortstop position. And if he could do that and hit about 250, 260 and just get on base and not necessarily try to do too much, I think the Mets can get by with Ruben Tejada at the shortstop position and maybe make a move for a player that's a little more of an impact type of shortstop as the season goes on if they're competing. Anthony Saratelli, in my opinion, is going to be a good backup. I think he's a little bit better defensively at shortstop than Justin Turner. Uh, obviously, his versatility, uh, this fact that he could play a number of positions could be a benefit for the New York Mets. And then you have a guy like Omar Quintanilla who you could probably try to slide down to AAA if he doesn't want to be a free agent and could kind of help you that way. But Wilmer Flores being up would be different because the Mets would have to have a caddy to play shortstop, to back him up, to kind of be there to go play in the eighth or ninth inning of a game that's tight. And that would be the ideal situation would probably be to start Flores and keep Tejada around as a backup and have him play second base shortstop and come in in the later innings as long as he's playing good defensively. 
And that will obviously pose a little bit of a problem because Ruben Tejada at his age may not necessarily want to be a backup player. And, you know, I'll be the first to say, who cares? You don't want to be a backup player and get the hell out of here. And that would be why it would make a little bit of sense to keep Omar Quintanilla around to be that veteran type of player, the guy that's used to that type of role and be an eighth, ninth inning type of guy to come in there and play a couple innings and make some plays and allow for the Mets young relievers to feel comfortable when they come in the game in the eighth and ninth inning. And I think that would be the ideal scenario with a guy like Saratelli kind of sticking around to maybe back up Tejada, help him out a little bit with the bat, maybe come up as a pinch hitter later on and you know play and hopefully make the plays that he's supposed to make. But I think we've all come to grips after a long offseason, which, like I said, I think it's gone by pretty quick, but a long spring training where the talk has started from the beginning about who's going to play shortstop for the New York Mets. We know right now that it's going to be Ruben Tejada playing uh, at the number six position position, batting eighth in a lineup, and probably being booed by many other people other than just myself at City Field on Monday as the Mets go to take on Steven Stroudsburg and the Washington Nationals. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Like I said, a ton of things to get into. Don't forget to tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli. We're going to get right into our MLB previews right here. JohnPielli.com brings it to you like we have every year. And we talked about, I think we stopped off talking about the number 21 team which I had being the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Pirates and, of course, the Cleveland Indians, the two teams that I previewed at around the same time. We're both in the same boat. Two playoff teams that you saw last year that I feel every year. There's a couple teams that get themselves to a point and kind of max out, and then the other teams go out there to try to beat them and get themselves in a better position than they were in a year before, and you really have to build off of the momentum that you've built from one season to another. You saw that last year with the Baltimore Orioles. They had a very good 2012 season, but didn't really take that next step to say, all right, we're going to be in this thing. We're going to make ourselves a powerhouse and make those last adjustments. Obviously, you know about the Orioles starting rotation, which you know they they were in the need of an ace and that hurt them last year. And I think the same thing you could see with the Pittsburgh Pirates losing A.J. Burnett and not necessarily replacing him. And the Cleveland Indians letting Ubaldo Jimenez and Scott Casimir go and not necessarily replacing them. I think these two teams are going to face the same type of problems that the Baltimore Orioles saw last year. And that allows for other teams to get themselves back in the mix. So ready? Let's get into it. 30 to 1 MLB Countdown Previews. 2014 version. First team I'm going to preview is a team that I have ranked number 20 out of the 30 teams. A team that came off a very disappointing season last year. A team that won 85 games in 2012. Saw themselves drop to be one of the worst teams in all baseball last year. And that, of course, is the Chicago White Sox, managed by Robin Ventura. Um, I really think that the White Sox had a good offseason. It started last year when they traded Jake Peavy to the Boston Red Sox in a deal that got them of ACL Garcia from the Detroit Tigers in a three-way deal with the Red Sox. They were involved in another three-way deal a couple months ago, and that saw Mark Trumbo go to the Arizona Diamondbacks. In the deal, the White Sox got center fielder Adam Eaton and left-hand pitcher Hector Santiago went over to the Angels and a minor leaguer to the Diamondbacks. They also made a bold move this offseason. They signed the latest in the Cuban 
sensations and signed themselves Jose Abreu, who is expected to be the heir apparent for the legendary Paul Canerco. And if you're from the south side of Chicago, you know about Canerco's impact on the Chicago White Sox. This is likely to be his last season. You know the guy isn't the player that he was five, ten years ago when the White Sox were winning a World Series in 2005. But Abreu looks like he's going to be the guy that can be dependent on to go out there and hit 20, 25 home runs and kind of set up that lineup to where it could be successful. But listen, there's obviously interesting things going on with the White Sox because you saw Robin Ventura, a guy who had no prior professional managerial experience anywhere, lead the team to 85 wins in 2012. Uh, It went the opposite last year. And uh, injuries had something to do with it, some bad pitching, some untimely production out of some of the guys that they were depending on led the team to not do as well as they did. But they, 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 could not ever get it going, and that was really their biggest issue. Uh, uh, Diane Vecito, the outfielders, kind of struggled a little bit. A.J. Przinsky, the catcher, ended up going to the Texas Rangers in this past year to the Boston Red Sox. They never got a catcher. Tyler Flowers never kind of emerged like the guy that they expected him to after Przinsky left. And injury to Galvin Floyd, John Danks struggled when he was healthy. He lost 14 games. Uh, they ended up trading guys like PV and Alex Rios and Jesse Crane. Uh, but, listen, adding e- to the offense is a guy who's going to be able to steal bases, he's going to be able to play a good defensive center field. Garcia, I think, is a guy that can hit for a little bit of power. You saw him a couple years ago with the Tigers in the postseason. He hit 304 and 42 games for the White Sox last year. Matt Davidson, in a separate trade from the Arizona Diamondbacks, came over, and I think he could be the everyday third baseman. He's got he's got 20 home run power. I think he's an upgrade over the incumbent Connor Gillespie, and they have a little bit of a log jam in the outfield. Alejandro Deaza, Facito. These are two guys that one of them's probably going to play every day. The other one's probably not going to. Deaza uh, hit 17 home runs, drove in 62 runs last year. Vecieto had a 265 average down season with 14 homers and 56 RBIs. Josh Fegley is probably going to get a chance to be the catcher. He hit only 200 last year. Tyler Flowers is a guy that was a little bit of a disappointment. I really think the White Sox could look to upgrade catcher at some point this season. A couple of the guys that have been around for a while, their double play combination of Alexi Ramirez and Gordon Beckham are guys that you know have been good and bad. Ramirez has been kind of consistent throughout his time with the White Sox. Beckham has been certainly more up and down. I think you know what you're going to get out of Adam Dunn, the designated hitter. 34 home runs last year. He's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to strike out a ton. And then he's also going to walk a lot too. The key to the offense is going to be exactly what you get out of Jose Abreu. And I think there's a little bit of a question. You, you want to go Yasiel Puig. You want to go Yanina uh, Cespedes. You think he's going to be that next generation of power hitting Cuban player. If he does, then I think the White Sox could get a lot out of their lineup. The lineup I would go with Eaton, Ramirez, Abreu, Dunn, Vicieto, Davidson, Beckham, Garcia, and Fegley. Um, obviously, the biggest strength that this team has is the ace type of pitcher that they have in Chris Sale. Chris Sale was 11 and 14 last year. Don't let the win loss record tell you about how good or bad he was. He had a 307 ERA, four complete games, 226 Ks, and 214 in the third innings. He is the ace of the staff. You back him up with Jose Quintana, who had a lot of no decisions, a 9 and 7 record, but he made 33 starts. John Danks is expected to bounce back off his 414 season. Um, um, they let 
Santiago go, which I think is going to give them a little bit of a weakness towards the back of the rotation. Guys like Eric Johnson, Andre Rienzo are going to kind of compete for spots there. Felipe Paulino, a guy who was pitching very well for the Kansas City Royals before he got hurt, um, has a very good chance of making this rotation as well. If you follow the countdown, of course, you check it out. Bases Empty blog, JohnPielli.com, the whole thing. Also will be available on MTRmedia.com. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of judged the bullpens a lot in, in my, my judgments. And the White Sox had a closer last year in Addison Reed that they traded to get Matt Davidson. And I really thought Reed was the most overrated closer in all Major League Baseball based on the save stat. Nate Jones is a guy that has pitched very well for the White Sox over the last couple of years. Very similar in stature. Could throw the ball hard. Uh, he's going to get some swing and misses. Uh, he'll get a chance to be a closer for the first time. Matt Lindstrom, a former Met prospect, uh, is going to jo- be joined by Donnie Veal. Uh, a guy who pitched pretty well for them last year. Ronald Belisario comes over from the Dodgers. He's going to help them out a little bit. I think the bullpen could be okay. Remember Scott Downs and Mitchell Boggs also come over to replace Matt Thornton, who ends up coming over, uh, going over to the Yankees as a free agent. Listen, what's what's my whole prediction on the White Sox? I see them being better than what was a, a terrible season last year. I don't think they could do any worse. The White Sox finished 22 games less than they did in 2012. A lot went wrong, and I feel the White Sox are headed in the right direction. Hopefully, they hold on to Sale. If they trade Chris Sale, I think this could be a horrible season, no matter what they can get in return for Chris Sale. Obviously, a team like the Dodgers would give you anything they possibly could, but I don't think that makes the White Sox good. The White Sox, the best decision for them to make is to keep Chris Sale as they move forward. Uh, Las Vegas has their over-under at 75.5. I will go with the over, but slightly better. I think they could win 79 games this year. I think they could go 79 and 83, make a little bit of an improvement from last year. Obviously not where they were when they won 85 games in 2012, but Jose Abreu, it's going to be an absolute key. If he could hit 25, 30 home runs, kind of present a presence in the middle of that order, I think the White Sox could be better than that and compete with some of the teams in the AL Central. Moving forward, we got the Philadelphia Phillies, who rank in my countdown at number... 19. And one thing that the critics will say, those who have criticized the countdown, is I've been a little too high on the Phillies over the last couple seasons. I really thought they could bounce back and get themselves in a position where they could compete for a playoff spot, maybe win a wild card last year after finishing 81 and 81 in 2012. It didn't work out this way. My feelings on them has kind of digressed a little bit. I'm not as high on them this year, but there's still a lot of things you could be happy about. Cole Hamels, who has been hurt and is likely to miss opening day, um, positioned with Cliff Lee in that rotation and provides as formidable a one-two punch as there is really in in, in National League. But uh, listen, they got they they really needed to make some adjustments. I thought they needed to get some younger players in there at one spot. One of the things that I touched on a lot talking Philly baseball with Bill Zeltman and Mike Sanfilippo is the fact that I really thought the Phillies need to shake something up. Having guys like Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins, you know they're going to be givens. You know they're going to come back and be part of this team whether they're hurt or not, and there's no way you could trade them. A guy like Dominic Brown broke out last year, had a very good season like a lot of people could have expected, is that young kind of tool going forward. Is he a fourth or fifth hitter or a number three hitter? I don't think he really is. Surround him with guys like like Utley and Howard and uh, free agent signing Marlon Bird. And, and the Phillies' middle of the lineup could look okay. But I really thought the Phillies needed to make a stand, maybe package a Dominic Brown with another player and get themselves, let's say, a Carlos Gonzalez type, that next leader, that next legitimate number one player if you want to talk about the offensive players for the Philadelphia Phillies. They didn't do that. But 
Let's let's talk about the questions that the Phillies are facing that are similar to last season. Has the team's age finally caught up with them? They built a nice core of players, like we talked about. They grew together. They're 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 going to die together. You know, like like we talk about a successful marriage. Uh, the core of the team is usually closely knit, and it is in this case. The opposite angle is how a team has to deal with all the ailments that one goes through when they're getting old, similar to that same marriage. Uh, a team that had a lot of success 2006 to 2011 managed to finish 500 after a terrible start in the 2012 season simply fell apart last year. Charlie Manuel was replaced 120 games in by Ryan Sandberg. There was a lot more optimism going into 13 than there is in 14. And you know about Roy Halladay not being around. You know about the Phillies trying to fill in the three, four, and five spots of the rotation. They signed A.J. Burnett. A.J. Burnett, if he gives the Phillies what he gave the Pirates last year, uh, will probably leave them in a good position. Guys like they brought in last year, like Michael Young, Ben Revere, Delman Young, uh, in addition to Mike Adams, seemed like the Phillies could have been a lot better than they were last year. Now, what did they do this offseason? They started out, they signed Carlos Ruiz, another guy that's been around for a while. He's been a Philly that added to the age that we already mentioned was a concern. And they end up signing Marlon Byrd. Byrd comes over as a free agent, played last year with the Mets and the Pirates. He's going to be playing right field. There's no question about that. Now they have some issues in their bullpen. Mike Adams is coming back from an injury this year. Uh, They added free agents Burnett and Roberto Hernandez. Uh, Of course, Miguel Alfredo Gonzalez. Uh, They got a whole thing with their starting rotation. They're going to try to figure out how to finish it off. But uh, the little bit to be proud of looking back at 13, not not very much, right? The injuries to Halliday and Howard and Adams, never getting any production from Delman Young, and the fact that it was impossible to build any momentum. There are many things to point to of why the team was not competitive last season. Hamill's record was not an indication of how he pitched, but he, he'll be the first to tell you that he expected to perform better last year. Revere, I think, is going to be a, a very big presence in this lineup. The fact that he's healthy, playing every day. If he could play in 150 games at center field, he could probably hit 300. He could probably steal about 40 bases. Gives them a little bit of a dynamic leadoff hitter that they really haven't had, even when they had some success. Howard's going to be another key. He had 11 home runs, uh, you know, in 80 games last year. It seemed like every one of them was against Dylan G. Chase Utley, who gave you a very good season, eight, 284, 1869, 131 games, stayed healthy, but you, you can't say that's a given. You can't say that's going to be a given. Jimmy Rollins played in 160 games last year, but he struggled. He didn't get a very good, do a very good job last year. He needs just 433 plate appearances to qualify for his vesting option that he has for 2015. I think that's going to be played very interestingly. I think Ryan Sandberg's going to use a lot of Freddie Galvis at shortstop. I think Galvis is a guy that's going to get a lot of playing time this year. Here's a guy that could play in 120, 130 games. He can make a share of starts between shortstop and second base, filling in for both Rollins and Utley. And I think it's it's going to be very key to see what you get out of Freddie Galvis this year because for the first time, I think you're going to see a little bit of pressure be put on him and the expectance of him to perform at the major league level, which we really haven't seen yet. Dominic Brown, you know, about Darren Ruff, who's going to be maybe that right-handed platoon, maybe get a little time in left field, a little time in right field to sub for the other guys. Um, third base is going to be interesting with Cody Ashey and Mikel Franco playing third. Uh if, if either one of them can emerge as an everyday player, I think the Phillies could see a little more in their upside. Uh, they brought in backup catcher Will Nieves, who I thought had a very good season last year for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I thought he was a good signing. I really liked the move that Ruben Amaro made bringing him in. But let's be honest, he's not going to be a regular. He may get some more time than most because Carlos Ruiz can't be expected to go out there and play 130 games. Now, 
what is the biggest concern for this team? Yes, it's the age. And if some of these players like a Howard, like a Utley, like a Rollins could show that they have something left, then this team could compete a little bit more than expected. But age follows them all along. Cliff Lee's getting a little bit older, though I think you could expect him if he's healthy to be a given, but the age is going to follow you to the bullpen. And Jonathan Papelbon had a bad second half last year. Mike Adams has been hurt. Antonio Bastardo served a 50-game ped suspension. And they didn't really go out there and get themselves a legitimate reliever, though I think Brad Lincoln, who came over from Toronto in a trade for catcher Eric Kratz, could be a very quiet wild card and help in that rotation. Justin DeFreitas, B.J. Rosenberg, um, Jake Diekman from the left side are all going to be guys that you're going to see try to make an impact for the Phillies this season. Last season, I had a lot of confidence that the Phillies could have another season left with their core. I have some difficulty feeling the same way this year. If Howard Utley and the majority of the rest of the team can stay healthy, there's no question the Phillies can compete. The potential of not having Hamels to start the season could impact them, especially if he's out for a significant amount of time. And, of course, Adams is questionable for opening day. For me, too many things have to go right for the Phillies to be able to compete with the Nationals and the Braves. Vegas has the Phillies at 76.5 for the over-under. I'm going to go with the over but not by very much. I see the Phillies at 79 and 83, third place in the NL East. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to keep the countdown going. We're going to take a quick break. And the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by uh, Pirates pitcher Vin Mazzaro, right-hand pitcher that had a very good season for the Pirates last year. So once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Quick break. Back after this. Hey, I'm Sean Big Daddy Lynch. I'm Joe DeLisanti. And I'm Tim O'Brien. And we're your favorite tailgaters. Listen to our show every Tuesday morning from 11 to 12 on NTR Radio. We'll tempt your palate with football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you name it, we got it. That's right, we do. We'll stir things up, voice what's grinding our gears, and just talk plain sports. We hold nothing back. Sports Talk Radio, are you ready for the tailgaters? You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. You're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We will offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Show. 
Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Glad you guys can join me. Of course, tweet at me at John underscore Pielli as we keep the program interactive. Uh, like I said earlier in the program, I had a chance to spend some time in Florida this past week and uh, hung out at the Bradenton uh spring training complex of the Pittsburgh Pirates and had a chance to catch up with a couple pitchers that had just pitched in a game that we just watched. And one of them was Vin Mazzaro, the right-hand pitcher who had a very good season, a breakout season for the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. He was 8-2 and two with a 281 ERA in 57 games, uh, had one save, 73 and two-thirds innings. Uh, you know, he pitched very well, 1.2 whip. He looked like he kind of came into his own after spending the better part of the past four seasons as a starter. And it looks like he's got his uh, eyes set on a job in the back of the bullpen with the Pirates, which was very good. You talk about the guys who got the job done last year, led by Jason Grilly and Mark Melanson and Brian Morris and uh, Watson from the left side. So the Pirates had a lot going for them in regards to their relief pitching last year. A lot of it had to do with Ben Mazzaro, who kind of stepped in, uh, kind of owned his own role did a pretty good job a little bit we're going to get into with Vin he's coming off the mound right here uh, you know he just pitched in the game we're going to talk a little bit with him and then follow that up right afterwards with a, a brief couple minutes with a right-hand pitcher by the name of Ken Kasparik and he's this guy's a 6'10 beast the guy was towering over my head when I was talking to him he talks a little bit about his reaction coming off the field and what he feels about making the team this year I believe he was sent to minor league camp he'll be starting a season in AAA and likely to make his major league debut at some point in the season. So first interview, we're going to play Vin Mazzaro, right-hand pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then Ken Kasparik, who's a guy you will see or you're likely to see in a Pittsburgh Pirate uniform at some point this season. So hopefully you guys enjoy these spots with the two pitchers for the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. I'm John Pielli. I'm here with uh, Pirates pitcher Vin Mazzaro. Vin, thanks for having a couple minutes. Yeah, thank you. Hey, this is first day. You know, you threw a little bit today. How's, how's the arm feel? Uh, I'm feels good. You know, just trying to get in shape. For a very good season. Um, you know, it's been going pretty well for me so far. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I actually found out, you know, you're from New Jersey. So, a little bit about your life growing up in New Jersey. How how, how was it to you? Was it everything you thought it would be? And a little bit about your experience going through high school and eventually getting drafted. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, Jersey. You know, my family's from there. My parents were born there. And um, I got an older brother and sister. And it was, uh, it was fun growing up. Um, you know, I went to Rutherford High School. And, um, you know, it, was a, it was a small high school. Yeah, you know, all dirt infield, no grass. So it's kind of like a sandlot playing there. But um, you know, it was it was a fun time. And um, you know, I always go back to Jersey. I live there. So you know, I always do what I can for you know the community back there and the baseball team. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And of course, you know, being up in that area, you're probably close to. Yeah, you know, were you a football fan? You follow the Giants or the Jets? Oh uh, yeah, I'm a football fan, but uh, I actually don't root for either team. Broncos fan. That's cool. Oh so, yeah. I try to keep that low key though. How far how far did you live away from the stadium? Were you able to um, the games out there? Yeah, I've been to a few. I mean, I'm literally five minutes and next exit down, so it's close to me it's around my backyard. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Once again, John Pielli here with Ben Zara. Now, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, your experience over the last couple of years. Obviously, you know, you've developed into a pretty good relief pitcher, kind of a little bit of a transition you made from when you were a starter before. Tell us a little bit about all the work you put in to get into where you are right now. Um, I mean, I put on a lot of work, and, um, you know, some guys it comes easy, some don't, and uh, for me, I had to put in a lot of work to be where I'm at right now, and um, I did a transition from starting to reliever, and um, all's going well right now with the, uh, that transition, and I like it both Absolutely. Listen, thanks for having a couple minutes, man. Best of luck this season. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
Transitioning right into the interview I recorded with right-hand pitcher Ken Kasparic. Hey, John Bielli here with uh, Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Ken Kasparic. Thanks for having a couple minutes, man. All right, no problem. Hey, first, just talk a little bit about your, uh, you know, your 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 pre, I guess before you got drafted, before you, you know, you got to the position you're in now. Talk a little bit about your your experience through high school, getting yourself to where you're at now. Uh, well, I grew up in a really small town called uh, Weimar, Texas. There's probably about 2,000 people that reside there. I uh, graduated in 2004 from Weimar High School uh, with about 50 fellow classmates. Uh, I went on to play at the University of Texas freshman year in 05 uh, with about uh, 50,000 students enrolled at, uh, at that school. I uh, was fortunate enough to be on a uh, national championship winning team as a freshman in 05 um, and just uh, got to be a part of some great experiences. That's awesome. And of course, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing out spring training. How, first of all, how's the arm going? Everything all right? Everything's feeling great. All right, man. How do you feel as, as, as the spring's going on? You think, uh, you know, what, what are your goals right now? Uh, my goal is to make a team. Uh, that was kind of my goal last year, and I accomplished that. And, uh, you know, that's my number one goal this year is to, to be on a plane somewhere at the end of spring training heading to uh, an affiliate. No, absolutely. And once again, uh, you know, anything, uh, you know, in regards to, to spring training, uh, how many years have you, have you been up at spring training now? Uh, this will be my going into my seventh season, so wow. I guess sixth spring training. This is my second spring training with Pittsburgh. Now, have you have you noticed a, a change at all in the, in the, the demeanor, the process? You know, just is it kind of the same the way it's been seven years ago? No, not really. I mean, every organization is different. I think this organization prides itself on on creating um, a man in you and, and developing character. Uh, I think from a ball player ball player perspective, you really have kind of have to respect. That um, just because of the, the, the development approach they take to not only a baseball player but you know the person off the field. Oh, absolutely. And you know, last question. Now back to when you were you were in high school or even prior to high school. What you know, what player did you kind of look up to? Or you know, was it anybody regional? Was it anybody just you know well known? What was the player that you kind of emulated yourself? You know, ever since I was a kid, I was uh, looked up to Nolan Ryan. Uh, you know, being from Texas and being from Texas. Uh, that was just one of my favorite players of all time. So absolutely, that's that's like the number one answer. Nolan Ryan yep. for baseball, or Earl Campbell for football. Exactly. Right, thanks a lot, Kevin. Right. Appreciate you giving me a couple Hopefully you guys enjoyed those back-to-back spots there. Of course, Vin Mazzaro is going to be the bullpen for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ken Kasparik, 6'10", right-hander. Uh, got roughed up a little bit in the game that I watched, but looks like he's a guy that's primed for AAA and eventually uh, should make his Major League debut at some point this season. Obviously, I'm rooting for the both of them. And a little bit of uh, experience I got, and I, you know, I'm a little humbled by it because I, 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 always, I always say I enjoy everything I get the chance to do. And just being down at the field level and getting a chance to talk to these players, hopefully you guys see the excitement going through my mind as you know we end up going through this and I get a chance to talk to a couple players second hour is going to be great Jason Grilly uh, Kent Tocolvi will be part of the program in the second hour and then of course over the course of the next couple weeks I got plenty of interviews that I recorded while I was down in Florida um, Jose Cardinal amongst some of the guys that I got a chance to talk to and uh, you know a lot of deep interviews that I get a chance to talk to a lot of great people and players more former major league players associated with the game of baseball but we're going to continue 30 to 1 MLB countdown previews John P com. Of course, check that out. Uh, you got every one of my previews, whatever your favorite team is. Make sure you take a look, see where I got them going. Tell me how you agree or disagree with the whole process. But moving forward, we talked a little bit about the White Sox and the Phillies. Last team I'm going to talk about uh, before this hour ends is 
the Baltimore Orioles. And the Baltimore Orioles, I got ranked number 18 as the season's about to begin. Uh, a team that had a very good 2012 season, like I touched on, had a little bit of a disappointing 2013 season. They were, in, they were up in, in the mix to be a wild card team up until the end. Nothing to be ashamed of. I just don't think, I just think they didn't have enough power to get themselves through. The starting rotation, I think they needed to add one big time starter. They weren't able to do that. And let's be honest, being in the same division as the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Rays, they needed a lot of things to go right to be able to make the postseason again last year. Plus, they made it in 2012. They got a little bit of a target on their back. But let's be honest. I mean, they won 90, 93 games in 2012. They weren't expected to do that. Um, they, you know, listen, they, he, Buck Showalter has been the turning point. Buck Showalter takes over as manager. All of a sudden, the players, the young players start coming to the forefront. They start playing well for him. And, the, you know, the what, what happened this offseason, Manny Machado injured I think that's going to be a big deal. If Manny Machado is unable to get back to the progress that he was making, that's going to hurt them this year. Chris Davis, you know about the home runs that he hit last year, the great season, the 53 home runs, 138 RBIs, the 42 doubles, the over 1,000 OPS. And they had to make some moves to get themselves in a position this year to compete. They signed Ubaldo Jimenez. They went out there. They got themselves Yoon, Suckman Yoon, the right-hand pitcher out of Korea, who is expected to be a solid top three starter on the staff. So they got him and Jimenez. And then they go out there and they sign Nelson Cruz. And obviously, you know, who cares about the amount of money they paid for him? I know it was a good deal, but that's not the reason why a Nelson Cruz signing was good. They needed him to provide some depth for that lineup, and I think he's an absolute absolute upgrade for from this team. They traded Jim Johnson. They got Jamal Weeks back. I don't think Jamal Weeks is going to be a big impact player. He could play a little bit at second base. Maybe he gets his chance to, to prove himself here. But I think Jim Johnson being traded the $10 million allowed them to make the signing of Nelson Cruz. And I think if it wasn't for that trade, maybe they don't have that extra cash to be able to bring Cruz in towards the end. Davis is going to be the centerpiece of the offense with Cruz hitting right behind him. I think that's going to be good. You got guys like Nick Markakis, Matt Wieters, uh, Manny Machado. Like I said, if Manny Machado is healthy this year, he He's back to the progress that he was making over the last couple of years. He could become a big-time player. He could become a 315 hitter with 20 home run power. Obviously, you know about his 50 doubles. He could hit 60 doubles at Camden Yards. The Orioles lineup projected into the season is going to start out with Marquecas probably leading off again in right field, Machado at third if he's healthy. Of course, Adam Jones, who is their number three hitter, probably their best all-around player. Davis, Cruz, Weeders, J.J. Hardy, Nolan Reimold will probably be playing left, and Ryan Flaherty will be at second base. The top bench options include David Lowe, Alexei Casilla, Stephen Pierce, and backup catcher Steve Clevenger. The starting pitch is going to be led, of course, by Jimenez. Yoon, I think, could be a number two starter, followed by Miguel Gonzalez. Chris Tillman, who was their best starting pitcher last year with the 16 wins. And then Bud Norris and Wee Ying Chen are going to compete for that number five spot. The Orioles will be best suited if Norris can win that job and kind of become that strikeout pitcher that he was in Houston. Uh, he was one of the acquisitions they made at the trading deadline, hoping to add some spunk to their their starting pitching staff. Um Dylan Bundy, Kevin Gaussman, two very high-end pitching prospects. Uh, you know about Bundy being hurt. You know about Gaussman uh, being the number one pick the year before they took Bundy. I think these are two guys that could be up in the mix, can make an impact this year, can maybe put a little bit of a stranglehold on a rotation spot and maybe push somebody out. The bullpen, I think, can be good without Johnson. Let's be honest. Jim Johnson a couple of years ago was a guy that came from a setup role and became a closer. He had 51 saves in 2012, 50 saves in 2013. The save stat is overrated. I think if the 
teams winning games and they're getting themselves in the ninth inning with one two run leads Tommy Hunter could save 50 games here's a guy that came from the rotation of the Texas Rangers of course in a trade that brought Chris Davis over to the Baltimore Orioles and Koji Uehara to the Texas Rangers uh, he's a guy that could get the job done uh, I think they're going to back him up pretty good with Darren O'Day Troy Patton is suspended for the first 25 games of the 2014 season after testing positive for Adderall. Ryan Webb comes over from the Marlins. I think he'll be all right. A guy like Steve Johnson is a guy that could throw hard, upper 90s fastball. I think he could establish himself as the eighth inning pitcher before all said and done. But, you know, Yoan Santana comes in. I don't think Yoan Santana is ready to pitch yet. I think he's a guy that could come up eventually, maybe uh, help out in the starting rotation, maybe help out in the bullpen. Obviously, you know I'm rooting for this guy like there's no tomorrow. He was one of my favorite players for the Mets and is always going to be my daughter Alexis's favorite player um, You know, from spring training when they met a couple years ago. But what do I think about the Orioles? Listen, I think the Orioles are in a tough position. The Yankees got so much better. The Tampa Bay Rays, you know about all their pitching they have and the development of their younger players. And of course, the Boston Red Sox are the defending World Series champions. Pretty tough when you got all those teams in the same division. And the Orioles are going to have it tough. Uh, I think Las Vegas has them set at 80.5 wins for the 2014 season. I think they're right on, pretty close if I had a choice. I'm going to take the under, and I'm going to go 79 and 83. Same record as the Phillies, same record as the Chicago White Sox. I think the Orioles can surprise. I mean, I think they, they're going to be good. I don't think they're going to be bad by any stretch of the imagination. I could see them being in a pennant race as the season moves on. And I, I just don't think they're as strong as the other teams. I don't think they're strong as the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Rays, who I think are all playoff teams. I'm not saying whether I predict them to make the playoffs, all three of them, but I think they're all perennial playoff caliber teams and should win in the mid to upper 80s in regards to games at least. But the Orioles, I think they're going to lose a lot of games to those teams. I, I think they you look at their starting rotation against Boston's or against what you think the Yankees could be or what the Rays are and I just don't think they have enough strength you're asking a lot from Suckman Yoon a guy who's never pitched in the major leagues before he does have the upside and one of the things that would go right if a guy like Yoon or a guy like Dylan Bundy or Gosman can establish themselves as a top starter to go right up there with Jimenez with Miguel Gonzalez with Chris Tillman and gives them a little bit more of, of flexibility in their starting rotation then yes they could compete with these other teams but I don't, I don't see it possible I really don't think so once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, 30 to 1 MLB countdown. We counted down from 30 to 18. We're going to get a lot into it. A couple more teams we're going to break down in the second hour. And then next week, we'll, we'll finish 1 through 10 pretty much in regards to what I think are going to be the one thing I want to touch on before we finish off the first hour of the program, uh, obviously as spring training is ending, you know, a lot of teams are going out there, they're releasing players that they don't think are going to make the team. Amongst the list of players that are not going to be around for their respective teams are Tommy Hansen, uh, George Kateris, the catcher for the Cubs, uh, Mark Lowe is released by the Rays, and Scott Diamond is placed on waivers by the Minnesota Twins. Here's one thing that I have a little bit of a problem with. We're talking about Major League Baseball teams having all this money, and even the team that has the littlest amount of money is still going to spend about $15 million, $30 million, probably even more in payroll. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. Within the last couple of years, MLB has implemented uh, a minor league type of deal for major league players. 
guaranteeing them that if a major league player with X amount of service time has to start the season in the minor leagues, they receive a $100,000 bonus. Now, for the guy that slices cold cuts or the guy that delivers pizzas or the guy that works in an office in a nine to five job, $100,000 is a lot of money. Not when we're talking about major league baseball teams. And this is where I have a problem. Teams are overdoing it with the thought of having to pay these players $100,000 more to go down in AAA. I mean, are you serious? We're talking about players on teams that are making $20 million a year. And even your average player makes four hundred fifty to 500000 The guy who has never played in a major league game and is playing for the first time, it's the minimum salary. So now we're talking about established veteran players that have to play in the minor leagues for a little bit longer than expected because there's not a roster spot and you have to pay them $100,000. Is it really like pulling teeth to give that player that extra hundred grand to start the season in AAA? Come on, this is major league baseball. Baseball. We're talking about professional sports where these players make millions and millions of dollars and the minimum salary is 450000 Why is it such a big deal when we talk about hundred grand to pay a player to play in AAA? I don't get it. Big thanks to Vin Mazzaro, Ken Kasparik for the first, being guest on the first hour of the program. We'll be back in five minutes for the second hour of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Chicago. We mean business in Chicago. 